Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Someone to Tell It To podcast. We can't tell you how much it means to us that you tune in so faithfully. As we've mentioned before in some of our other episodes, both of us are podcast junkies and know that there are so many meaningful and beneficial podcasts out there to choose from, one of which you're going to hear about in today's program. So we're especially grateful that you've chosen to listen to this one. We hope that you've been encouraged and that as one of our supporters said after having listened to one of our episodes, I have a stronger faith in humanity. Someone to tell to's mission is about radical love. Our values shouldn't be seen as radical. They should simply be seen as basic, a matter of course, the foundation of how we treat and relate to one another consistently, invariably, at all times, but they aren't. Values that declare everyone, regardless of race or gender or nationality or orientation or age or ability or disability or religion or no religion or economic status or title or occupation or any other description that defines us is a person of sacred worth and deserving of respect, being valued and loved. It's as simple as that. But these have been tough weeks for those values. How about it? We have a profound problem with race in our midst. Our history, all 400 years of it, has been marked by violent racial overtones and undertones. That history belies the values of liberty and justice for all that we say we hold so dear. There is needless trauma perpetrated on those who are perceived as less than, as not good enough, as different from those who don't hold the same characteristics or backgrounds or life circumstances as we do. Someone to tell it to aims to diminish that trauma. Our goal is for it to be recognized, respected, and to end. When will that day be? That day will be when we finally see the sacredness of every person's life. We cannot stop proclaiming and living out our values. Not until that day comes, how sweet that day will be. Michael and I often let an episode sit for a few days before we add our intro and our outro, so we have some time to reflect on what we discussed. And then in this episode, another good one. It's very conversational. We very much enjoyed it. Today, as I'm recording this, it is also a day to be acknowledged, celebrated and reflected upon. Juneteenth. We will admit we weren't nearly as aware of Juneteenth as we should have been up until a couple weeks ago. While the recent events have been sad and unjust, We are grateful for the awareness, learning, and conversations that are being had in our home. It's easy to let agendas, politics, and entrenched assumptions cloud the opportunity before us. This is a time for honest conversation, evaluation, and restoration. And while it's not easy, we're glad for that chance. We hope you are too. For those of you who aren't familiar with the holiday, Juneteenth is one of America's oldest holidays 
and is observed each year on June 19th to mark the official end of slavery in the U.S. The day, which gets its name from combining June and 19th, has long been celebrated by black Americans as a symbol of their long-awaited emancipation. Today, especially, someone to tell to wants to state that black lives matter. We know we have a long way to go in our nation and in our world, but we do believe that it starts and ends with listening to one another's experiences, hopes, dreams, fears, and stories. Again, thank you for tuning in. We know you will enjoy today's episode too. A behavior coach, podcast host, and author, Eric Zimmer is endlessly inspired by the quest for a greater understanding of how our minds work and how to intentionally create the lives we want to live. At the age of 24, Eric, who grew up in Ohio, was homeless, living in a van, addicted to heroin, and facing long jail sentences. In the years since, he has found a way to recover from addiction and build a life worth living for himself. As a behavior coach for the past 20 years, Eric has conducted hundreds of, has coached hundreds of people from around the world on how to make significant life changes and create habits that serve them well in achieving the goals they've set for themselves. Eric currently hosts the award-winning podcast, The One You Feed, based on an old parable about two wolves at battle within us. With over 300 episodes and over 13 million downloads, the show features conversations with experts across many fields of study, scientists, authors, researchers, teachers, thought leaders, spiritual gurus, and public figures about how to create a life that has, has less suffering and more fulfillment and meaning. His podcast is, was named the best iTunes podcast in 2014 and called one of the best health podcasts of all time by the Huffington Post. So Eric, it is our privilege to welcome you to the Someone to Tell It To podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. So we want to start with this. Uh, let's start with the parable of the two wolves, uh, which is so, is so much a foundational element of your podcast series. We'd love for our listeners and viewers to hear what that parable is. Okay. I assume you want me to tell it. Yeah, if you can do that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, we start every show with me reading this uh, parable to our guests, and then I kind of ask them for their interpretation of it. So there's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. He says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops and he thinks about it for a second and he looks up at his grandfather and he says, well, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So that's the, par that's the parable that we use to sort of, you know, kick off every show. So we're curious for your listeners and our listeners, what caused you to latch onto that story, that parable? Well, I heard that parable for the first time some in some some room of Alcoholics Anonymous, probably somewhere in uh, you know first first few months of my sobriety. You described my uh, you know how at twenty four I was a homeless heroin addict, um, 
so I heard that in some meeting and it just, you know, it just kind of blew me away because at that moment, a few things, I mean, I just, in that moment, it was just very clear to me. And it was very clear to me at that point in my life. Like there are things that I can do that are going to lead me towards the, the road of recovery and life. And then there are other ways of behaving or of not behaving that are going to lead me to more of what I was having, which was really, you know, on my, on my way to death. And, you know, in that moment, I, I sort of jokingly say now it wasn't even so much. I don't think I was feeding the good wolf anymore. He was eating me and, or, or the bad wolf, you know, I don't think I was feeding the bad wolf so much as was being eaten by the bad wolf. So it just was very clear to me. And, and early recovery for me was a very clear time of like the choices that I made had very big consequences for the direction my life was going to go. They always do, right? For, for all of us. But it was just especially clear to me in that moment. So that's kind of where I first heard that pod or that parable. And, and it's always sort of stuck with me since. One of the things that we like to do with a lot of our guests is just to have them tell our audience just a little bit about their story. And obviously that's a pretty broad question, but just maybe you could give some of the snapshots, some of the key moments or key moments where things shifted for you. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, the, the, the biggest part of my, my story, although at this point it was a long time ago, right. You know, it was 25 years ago was, you know, that, that, that point of getting of finding myself at 24 homeless heroin addict, uh, living in the back of a van. Um, you know, I weighed a hundred pounds. I had hepatitis C, uh, I was facing, uh, jail time of up to 50 years things were things were pretty bleak at that point and i i went into a a, a detox center and i i ended up getting sober and staying sober for um for quite some time so that was a pretty big i look at that as one really big shift in my life um about eight years after that i, I actually started drinking again so i got about eight years sober and i drank again for a few years i didn't go back to using heroin but i started drinking you know, doing some other things like marijuana. And that got me in um, to a point where I needed to recover again. I, I didn't go to nearly as low a bottom, uh, but I was just as sick. And so, you know, that, that was sort of another big turning point. Got sober. That's been about 14 years ago. And then, you know, the other big turning point feels to me like when I started the podcast that I, I can sort of look at that point in my life and, and really see like, wow, that was, you know, in, in retrospect, boy, that was a, that was a big moment, you know, that, that ushered a lot of changes in, you know, all for the positive for me. So those are three sort of times that I can point to where there was sort of a, you know, I can sort of point to a, a moment and go, well, before that, it looked like this. After it, you know, things, things were different. Uh, the birth of my son uh, being a big one. He's 22 now, you know. So, but those are some of the, the, the major pieces. If I look at it from a, which is a somewhat simplistic lens to look at things through like our lives change or are defined by certain big moments, because I actually think that our lives are defined by thousands and thousands of little moments over and over and over again. But, but if we were to, you know, for the purposes of a narrative arc, those, those, those stand out. 
In fact, Michael could probably tell you a very serious story of how his life is being up upended even today. <laughs> you want me to tell that? <laughs> yeah, please do. Uh, uh, just, just very, very briefly. I have a, I have a son who has multiple uh, disabilities and, and intellectual disabilities and autism, pretty severe. And uh, right now, and we have a, we have a, his the program that he attends every day is closed because of uh, the pandemic. And we're, there's no, at this point, no end in sight for that, uh, for when he might be able to go back. My wife and I both work. Uh, you know, Tom and I, uh, you know, are both now, you know, working from home. And, our, you know, my son is home. We have a, a caregiver for him who's been wonderful in helping half days each day, which enables me to do my job more. Uh, but she's in the hospital right now. And so I'm... You know, in order to, uh, you know, it's been it's been a tough week already yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with my son and my wife. In fact, in order for me to record this podcast, had to take some vacation time to come home <laughs> in order for for me to have the time uh, to do this today. So it's, uh, yeah, just one of those things that, you know, life is about chat is life is full of challenges and, and, and little and big things that just make a huge difference, uh, you know, in, in, in our lives that yeah. sometimes yeah. make it harder, sometimes make it easier. But. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And when we, you know, when we sort of tell our big life story, you know, it has these big moments. I gave a talk at a, at a, at a Zen, Zen, uh, center in, well, I didn't give it at the Zen center in New Mexico. I did it virtually for the, this Zen center in New Mexico a couple of weeks ago. And I was talking about a program that I run called spiritual habits, but I was saying, you know, if you told the story of my life, you would focus on this moment where I was in that detox center at, uh, the age of 24. And they said, we think you need to go into long-term treatment. And I said, no, I don't need to do that. And I went back to my room and I had a moment of clarity as we call them in AA where I went, I'm going to die if I go back out there. So I went back to them and said, okay, I'll go into long-term rehab. So again, if we were to tell the story of my life or make a movie out of it, that's a really big moment. Mm -hmm. And of course it is, but it's not in the end of the day that much bigger than the, the thousands of other decisions I made day by day after that to stay sober. So you mentioned earlier on about your podcast and we would love to talk about it. Could you take us back to what that was like for you? What, what, what was the start of the podcast like and, and how did it become such a phenomenon? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if it's a phenomenon, but um, it started It started pretty simple. Um, like any story, you're always like, how far do I go back? But um, I had started a solar energy company, and I had poured my heart and soul into it for a good number of years, and it didn't work out, largely due to changing political climate in the state of Ohio. You know, there were a lot of laws in place that sort of incentivized renewable energy when I started the company, and then five years later when I shut the company down, those had largely been repealed, and my heart had been broken about 10 different ways, and I shut it down. And so I was doing consulting work in, the, in my field of origin, which is sort of in the software development world, but I was just kind of bored. And I was in a bad marriage. I was not, I was not in a good space mentally. 
and the and I had I had learned about the idea of a podcast because I was trying to think about marketing a solar energy online course. I, that was going to be something I was going to do, and so I started looking into online marketing. I learned about podcasts, and I eventually decided I didn't want to do that. And then one day, I don't. You know, the way I remember it may not be this way at all, of course, given the nature of memory. The way I remember it is this idea just descended on me that, oh, I could have a podcast. I could interview, you know, spiritual teachers and psychologists and all these people who could talk about what it means to live a good life. And I could use that paragraph as the jumping off point. And I could ask my best friend, Chris, who's an audio engineer to handle all the audio and it would be fun and we'd spend more time together. And so as is my nature. The next day I called him and I said, you want to meet for dinner? I got an idea and asked him and he said, yes. And I was off to the races the next day. So that's kind of how it, how it started without a whole lot of thought necessarily. And with certainly no, no sense of, um, what would or wouldn't happen, you know? Um, and you know, I, I don't know if it's been a, if it's been a phenomenon because what it has been is largely, you know, seven years of just every week putting out an episode and continuing to grow an audience. Now, early in our first year, um, somehow, some way, the podcast world looked very different than it does today. But somebody at Apple Podcasts heard the show and was touched by it. And so they chose to feature us. And they also chose to name us, you know, one of their best podcasts way back in 2014. Um, which gave us definitely gave us a boost, you know. Um, but so that was kind of that kind of got us from zero to to, to ten, you know. But from getting <laughs> ten to a hundred has just been, you know, just Grind. week after week after week, you know, trying my best to put out, you know, the best episode I can and and get the best guests I can and and be as committed as I can to the process. Well, we've listened to some of those and we uh, appreciate them very much. And thank you for the great work you're doing. We've also read uh, a number of your blogs as well and appreciate them. And in one of them recently, you wrote about finding strength to weather life storms, especially in light of the current, the current world situation, the pandemic. In, in one of these blogs, you quoted Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor and who has written beautifully, poignantly about his experiences um, imprisoned in a concentration camp. First of all, Frankl is uh, a hero of ours. We love reading him. We uh, just absolutely resonate with, with, with his, the beauty of his words, the poignancy of them. One of the things he wrote that you, uh, that you mentioned in, your, in this blog was, in, in some ways, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us why that spoke to you? What do those words about suffering and finding a meaning mean to you? Well, I think it's been, you know, I've often said on the, the podcast that, you know, people don't become great in spite of their differences, but, or, or in spite of their difficulties, but because of their difficulties, you know? And so my you know, my experience with addiction was that when, and it's the, it's the genius of the, of the AA program. There's a lot of things I love about 12-step programs, and there's some things I don't love as much. But one of their strokes of genius was the idea that, hey, it was really about when, when one alcoholic helps another alcoholic, 
that not only does the person getting helped get help, but more importantly is the person doing the helping has a much better chance of staying sober. And so I learned pretty early on the value that what my suffering, you know, if we want to call my addiction suffering, the, the, what it turned into and it, when it had meaning, I no longer regarded it as this awful, terrible thing that happened to me, right? I've seen thousands of times in the intervening 25 years where that, again, to use the word suffering, that suffering has allowed me to provide value into people's lives. And so it has had a great deal of meaning. And so in my own life, personally, I've just seen that over and over and over again. And, you know, the other thing that is an area that really interests me is the idea of post-traumatic growth. We talk a lot about, we hear a lot about post-traumatic stress, but there's something called post-traumatic growth. You guys are probably aware. And when, when you ask people what, what are, what's one of the factors in post-traumatic growth, one of the more common answers is the ability to craft some sort of meaning or narrative out of what happened to you. That ability to say, oh, this happened and it was bad or it was suffering, suddenly um, when I can see it in a meaning sense, whether that meaning is it made me into the person I am today or it changed me or it allowed me to help, once it has meaning, we're able to transform that, that experience. So uh, I've always found that just to be a critical aspect of um, living a good life. You went on to write in, in another blog uh, just about four vital questions that people can be asking of themselves during difficulties like this. Number one, how do I want to be through this difficult time? Two, what really matters to me amidst all that is happening? Three, what is my deepest intention for how I want to move through and come out of this season of suffering? And then lastly, when things get really difficult, what do I want to remember about what is real and true for me? And then you concluded the blog with, and that reminds me of another Viktor Frankl quote, when we are no longer able to change a situ situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Mm -hmm. What were you thinking when you wrote that? Well, I love Viktor Frankl as so many of us do, right? I mean, he is, it's, He's just clearly somebody that has resonated with so many people. I, I love Viktor Frankl because a lot of times if, I'm, if we're not careful, these ideas of, that I talk about on the show and you might talk about on your show, ideas of, of resiliency and spirituality and meditation and emotional regulation, all these things, they start to sound and they can become, and it's one of the criticisms of a lot of the modern mindfulness movement, is that it is a something that privileged people have can do. And I think there's a lot to unpack about that, particularly in today's world. But what I love about Viktor Frankl is he points out, well, again, let's take away the systematic nature of the way things are, are in our country. The principles are not something only to be applied when, you know, you've got, uh, when you've, you know, when you're a soccer mom, right? They applied to people in the hardest possible situations on earth. 
So they are not something that we should go, oh, these are only useful if you get to a certain point in life. And that's one of the things I love about Viktor Frankl is he orients us back to, no, these principles apply to everybody regardless of where they, where they are. And, and I think we sometimes get lost in the discussion or this, one of the things that gets lost in the discussion about some of these things is that very idea that, yes, these principles can help people at all in all levels of society, of all groups, of all types. And so that's one of the things about Viktor Frankl that resonates. And I don't know if I fully answered your question about what was I thinking. Um, you know, as I wrote that post, I was thinking about what I often think about in the coaching work that I do with people. I often say to, to potential clients, you know, I think you could boil everything we're, you know, we're going to do together down to, and you could really boil living a good life down to a really simple idea. And it's being able to think about what matters to you and then being able to bring it into some form in the world, being able to live and embody it. If you can do those two things, you're going to have a life that feels meaningful and is going to feel um, successful. And, and it will feel that way because you will have defined it that way. You know, I think that we do, we tend to, um, some people do one or the other. Some people do neither. Um, but a lot of times people can get really hung up on everything they believe and everything they want and their values, but they can't, they just, they can't make anything positive out of it. You know, this is the classic sitting around in your dorm room and smoking weed and, you know, talking about philosophy all the time, right? And then nothing ever happens, right? That's one version of that. Or the other is we just get so busy and we're just charging all the time and we're getting all kinds of stuff done. But to use the classic, uh, metaphor from Stephen Covey, we're, we're climbing a ladder that's on the wrong wall. So if we can do both those things consistently, what matters to me? What's important about this? Who do I want to be? And then we can bring that forth into the world. That's successful living. So when I wrote that blog post, I, I was sort of thinking about what I spend a lot of time thinking about, which is how do we, how do, we do both those things? And, and as, you know, the pandemic gave us a sense where everybody felt catapulted into like, oh my God, like chaos. It felt like a time to talk about these things in a more broad way because it, instead of like getting people coming to me and coaching who were in crisis, it, everybody felt that way for a period of time. Yeah. And I think you and in your work is very similar to our work in that we are constantly trying our best to help others find meaning in their suffering and we do that with what we call compassionate listening. And we, we called it compassionate listening because the root word for compassion, as you're probably familiar with, is to suffer with. And we, we find that entering into people's pain and brokenness and sadness and confusion and then we, helping each other find meaning is the way that we rise above our situations. And, you know, I think with Viktor Frankl, it wasn't a kind of a one-time deal where he found meaning and that, that was it. I mean, it's, it's a constant for all yeah. of us, yes. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the people that we've worked with over the years, I think sometimes we've found that some folks are, are waiting for the next shoe to drop. And it's just this constant, like struggle to get over the hump, so to speak. Whereas I think 
what we're trying to do, I think collectively with you and, and so many others around the world is, is helping each other find ways to continually rise above our situations and our challenges. Totally. Yeah. I think that's you make a really important point there, which is that, yeah, we don't do this once, you know, we, we have to, we have to reflect on what's important to us over and over and we have to continuously commit to trying to live it to the best of our ability over and over. Because there's going to be another coronavirus. It might take a different shape or form, but something else is going to happen. It's, it's inevitable. It's just a part of life. Totally. Totally. Eric, you, um, you, and you, you were in answering that, you also talked about, you know, finding what matters. How did you find what matters to you? How did you determine that and understand that in order to pursue it? Well, I, it's an interesting question because in light of what we just said a second ago, I think it, it, that has been uh, an on, it's an ongoing process, you know? Um, I'm not one of those people that at like the age of 15, I went medicine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know what I'm here for. I'm here to, I'm here to help people, you know, get better. And I'm going to be a doctor and my path was clear. And, you know, um, you know, I think my first, I think it's been, you know, what matters to me has been different at different points in my life. You know, um, when I was getting sober, getting sober mattered most. And then shortly after that, I think helping other people get sober mattered most. And then shortly after that, my son was born and that started to matter most for a period of time. And then it was a period of time when the podcast perhaps, you know, mattered most. And then there's periods where it flips back and forth. I find it useful to have a, you know, for me in spending some time thinking about it, I've been able to sort of look at the broader picture and think about what my overall mission in life is, for lack of a better word, right? And it's, I've really realized that for me, it's, it's to um, help relieve other people's suffering, mm -hmm. you know? So that, that's sort of my guiding principle, but how that shows up and what matters, you know, this, this day, this week, this month, this year may, may vary a little bit. So again, I think it's a process of trying to reflect on it as often as I can. Because particularly when I don't reflect on it very often, what I start to think that matters, my default for what I think matters is how I feel. <laughs> that, that becomes a thing I think matters most of the time if I'm not consciously countering it. And, and I think a lot of us are that way. What we become pretty concerned with is how do I feel, you know? And, and that's, as a, as a living organism, that's, that's an important part of what living organisms do. They monitor their condition and they, they try and make sure they survive, you know? And so there's that, how do I feel? How do I feel? As, as, as humans, that's a big part of what we do. So I have to sort of reorient very often to like, that's not the most important thing here, even though it seems like it if I'm living an uh, unexamined life. Yeah, you bring up such a, a good, yeah. good point there because I've found particularly people in my generation or even younger people that we've worked with, you know, they, they're really trying hard to find meaning in their lives at, at a young age as opposed to just kind of entering into a field or a study that, that is just going to pay the bills. 
you know, they're really earnestly trying to, to answer that question for themselves. And I think your point's such a valid one that it's, it's a constant um, kind of tension we should be in. Am I still fulfilling what I should be fulfilling with my life? And, uh, you know, looking back on your life, what would you say to yourself, you know, now, if you were looking back and, and had something to offer uh, your yourself 25 years ago? <laughs> Relax. <laughs> that's what I do. That's yeah. what I tell myself. So, settle down. Um. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I mean, there's been articles I've referenced recently where millennials, they say that they're, they're going to change jobs like seven times or more. Yeah. You know? And I think, yeah, we can get so stressed out over just yeah. trying to figure things out all the time. Yeah. It's so interesting. I often reflect on, you know, what would I say to my younger self or, you know, when you, you know, in, in my case, my, you know, what I would say to my younger self is starting to look increasingly like what I would say to my son, cause he's 22, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then you start to question like, well, who's, you know, at, at, at 22, what was I capable of hearing or not hearing? And, and that, I, I don't really, that, that, I always want to be careful because that sounds kind of condescending, right? And I just mean that I think the energies that were moving through me at that age were a very of a very different sort than the energies that move through me today. He has things he if if I could hear them from him would benefit me too. So I don't mean it's always like, oh, from my perch of it, it, great wisdom, you just need to learn what I have to say. There is some of that, but there's also, you know, I think what's what's appropriate to life. One of the things I've loved about the, the Hindu faith is the sense that we move through stages in life and that there are activities that are appropriate at different stages of life. And the activities that are appropriate for me at, at my stage of life at 50 versus somebody at 22, they're different a little bit. You know, they're, they, and, and that's not bad. Doesn't, doesn't mean that. So as I look back at my younger self, so I'm, I'm sort of not answering the question by saying it's, it's a, it's one of those questions that when I reflect more deeply upon it, I go, I'm not sure it would do any good to tell my younger self anything. That said, I probably would say some version of a lot of the things that you're worrying about right now, where you fit how you look, what other people think of you, all those sort of things are not as important as you think they are. You know, they're just not as relevant as they think they are. The other thing I would tell my younger self, and I, I used to hate this when I heard it when I was young, and today <laughs> is put money in your retirement account. Like, <laughs> it's, it really is one of those things, like looking back on, I am like, wow, you know, boy, everybody was right. They surely were right, you know. Um, but I think, I think, I think if I had to put it into one word, it would sort of be to, you know, relax a little, uh, relax a little bit, and allow yourself to kind of be where you are. We'd like to take just a moment to thank our premier sponsor for the Someone to Tell It To podcast, the Wonders Found Thrift Shop in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We are so grateful for their support, for their advocacy, for these messages that we share with you today and every day. So thank you. 
We also want to encourage you, if you are interested in helping to support these podcasts, you can do that yourself, too, by going to patreon.com and signing up and saying what you would like to do on a regular basis to help someone to tell it to continue these podcasts, to help them grow, and to reach more and more people around the world. Continuing with some blog writings of yours, back in April, you wrote a blog entitled Emotional First Aid, Uncertainty, Fear, and Anxiety. And you stated that um, if the uncertainty of this global crisis has uh, you feeling fearful, anxious, and worried, read on, this post is for you. That would be pretty much for just about all of us, we think. <laughs> I want to shine a light, you went on to, to write, uh, on what's going on beneath the surface for what, for, for us when we get caught in a really fearful reaction to the uncertainty that we're so acutely aware of in times such as these. And I want to offer us two other paths that we can take instead, that each leads to a place of internal wisdom, open-heartedness, deep steadiness, and presence. I would add it, this probably helps us to relax. A little bit more too, you know, in the midst of all this, you write about in this a negativity bias that we can often take in the face of uncertainty and that the birthplace of our suffering and our freedom is our relationship with uncertainty. You say that uncertainty can produce beauty too. Can you say more about that? Would you say more about that? How uncertainty produces, is able to produce beauty for us in our lives? Well, I, um, it, you know, the things we find most beautiful usually are somewhat, you know, we, we're, we're a little bit often startled by them, right? Like they, they come, we, we come across them, you come around a clearing and there's a deer standing, you know, and it's, it's just boom, there it is. It's, it's beautiful, you know, and, and it's, um, it comes because we didn't, we didn't know it was going to be there. We, we tend to want to sort of nail everything down and know exactly what's going to happen, but that is also boring at the same time. You know, if I were to say to you, I could tell you, you know, what every day the rest of your life is going to look like, you'd be like, no, please don't, don't do that. Like, you know, we think we want it, but we don't really, you know? And so, you know, I think it's, it's the things that come into our lives that we don't expect that are often, um, really beautiful. And so I think that by trying to control everything, we, we 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 shove our lives into into smaller and smaller boxes and it's usually when we're outside those boxes that we find the most beauty i, I totally agree with that i think that we um we do try to put things into boxes and we often miss the beauty all around us yeah and and ignore it we we, we may even see it but don't connect with it or realize it we're not taking the time or we, we again we have our agendas and and we don't like them to be disrupted but you are absolutely right um beauty uh, can i always hope for to be surprised surprised by beauty surprised in 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 ways that i didn't expect and and uh, i wish that for everyone that, that we could be so open yeah be surprised 
as a fellow podcast host, you would appreciate, I'm sure you're, you've at least listened to Krista Tippett's podcast on sure. being sure. Absolutely. And we just love her, her, uh, her, her program. But there's one episode in particular that I I've re- always resonated with. It's by a guy named John O'Donohue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's writes from the Celtic tradition, but there was one episode in particular and we love it because he's got his thick Irish accent but he talks about beauty through the whole episode and just the things that we, you know, that we, we have these blinders on where we don't see beauty. And I'm reminded a few years ago, Michael and I had read this one book. We're always reading together that encouraged us to spend more time just in, in gratefulness and gratitude. And we started just keeping lists and I started doing it with my family where we started keeping lists of, of all the things that we're grateful for. And initially it's easy to just start listing things, but when you're starting to reach a goal where we're trying to get into the thousands, you have to be really intentional. You know, you have to start seeing things that you've never seen before. You know, it's not just, it's not just the butterfly flying, but it's the fact that, you know, the butterfly is flying through the air, you know, the, the, you just got to start getting create creative um, and, and looking more deeply to find beauty. And so I, I think, you know, we all have work to do there uh, to remove those blinders to, to see beauty because it is everywhere. Yeah. There's a, it, uh, I could read you guys a short poem from another poet, uh, Diane Falds, which I think speaks to this so much. If you guys are open to that. Absolutely. Please. Yeah, it's very short. She says, and the poem is called Allow. And she says, there is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado. Dam a stream and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace will carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild and the weak, fear, fantasies, failures, and success. When loss rips off the doors of the heart or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. So we'll ask you this question. We were going to save this for our rapid fire later, which we'll get to. Um, That's a fun part of this episode. But where are you seeing beauty right now? Birds and trees. Hmm. What is it about the birds and the trees? Well, <laughs> I've been I've been pract- I've been a I've been practicing Zen Buddhism pretty deeply for a year with a teacher, and uh, you know, my teacher would encourage me not to use words to describe it because that misses it. Um, but I will do my best. Um, <laughs> I don't know that I ha- I don't know I don't know that I could I could put it into words. I just am connecting with them birds and trees more deeply. I'm seeing them more and as I as I um as I look at them more and I study more and I and by study I just mean pay close attention to um you know Mary Oliver says that, you know, attention is the beginning of devotion, right? And so I think by attending to them, I go into a deeper state of, of communion with them. Um, so I think that's, I think it's more, I, more than I could put it into words. I think I could say why it's happening. It's because I'm giving them more attention. 
Yeah. And in this world where we're inundated with so much quote unquote noise, gosh, something like the birds, we just overlook. Even this morning, my son, he yesterday, he, his project for the day is he created a bird feeder with, with Legos. And, and uh, this morning he sat out on our deck for probably an hour, just looking out the back, just waiting for a bird to land on his bird feeder, you know, but just that attention that you're talking yeah. about. Um, yeah. Tom, it takes a couple of weeks sometimes for the birds to figure out that it's there. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It did not happen this morning. So yeah. was, they, need, they need a little, <laughs> I, I put, I put up a bird feeder recently and when I put it up, it was it, first time I've put up a bird feeder myself. And I, after I put it up, it did occur to me. I was like, how do the birds know it's here? Yeah. Like, you know, how, to, and then eventually sooner or later, all of a sudden it took them a, a little while, but now it's a, it's a regular, it's a neighborhood hotspot. Hmm. And, and even in itself, that's a thing of beauty that they know that they discover it. That's right. And that they all keep, and then more and more of them keep coming. Right, and, right. And, you know, so how does that work? It, who knows? But it's beautiful. Here's something I learned about birds recently that, like, uh, beauty often comes to me when I, when, my, when, I hear some, when I hear something scientifically that my brain goes, what? How's that possible? Birds, uh, uh, you know, this shows my ignorance about birds. I thought, where do birds sleep? And if you'd asked me, I would have said nests, but that's not true. Nests are not for sleeping. They're for birthing the young. So birds largely sleep on branches and they've got hands that clamp to the branch and it's all pretty good. Well, some birds sleep with one eye open. But furthermore, what happens is they've got, like us, they've got a side of the brain that's associated with each eye. So the side of the brain that, the, that's associated with the eye that's closed actually goes to sleep. So half their brain is awake, half their brain is asleep, and then they can switch them. They just go, all right, that side's done, resting. I'm going to open this eye and turn on this side of my brain. It's un uh, unbelievable. Well, a, a surprise and a thing of beauty today, we learned something about science yeah. and about, <laughs> about botany or bot biology or whatever. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I don't know if that's all birds. I can't tell you exactly which, which birds, but some birds. Well, talking about bird feeders, again, if you ever put up a hummingbird feeder, you always need to have two of them, apparently. And so the one year we only put up one and they just never came around. Really? And then eventually someone suggested, we had read up on it, that mm -hmm. we put up a second and immediately, it was within days, the hummingbirds started coming around. Huh. Something yeah, with the color schemes, like hummingbird feeders need to be sharp colors, huh. bright colors. So... Yeah, there's your there's your fun fact for the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hummingbirds are stunning. We'd love to get back to talking just a little bit more about your podcast and just a little bit more about who you are um, and some of the things that you've learned in your life. Your podcast is obviously connected with so many of us. Uh, what do you think it is about the program that has resonated so deeply? It's my least favorite kind of question because it causes me to try and speculate on, on <laughs> what would cause other people to to like it. I can tell you that, um, I mean, I, it's interesting. I set out to make and always try and continue to make the podcast that I would want to hear. So that's always been my guiding principle. It's not like, what do I think others will like, but what what am I interested in? I've always allowed my curiosity to be 
the the thread that pulls me through the whole thing. Um, that said, what I've heard from a lot of listeners is that they like the they like the fact that there's always a practical bent. I'm always trying to sort of go, well, that's an interesting idea, but how can people apply it to their lives? I think people like the fact that I'm pretty honest about my own struggles. I never sort of get on there and paint myself as somebody who has it all figured out. I'll talk about where I've learned and grown, um, but I think I'm pretty open about my previous alcoholism. I'm pretty open about the fact that depression remains a challenge. I'm, you know, so I think those are a couple of the things. Um, I, I prepare, I really prepare, you know, I really work hard for every interview like you guys have done. You clearly have done your research on me and, you know, I try and do something similar for my guests. And I think that comes through with people. Um, I think that I, I think that when you, when you've really prepared, your guest feels that your guest feels valued. And, and that brings about a depth of conversation and intimacy that, that a lot of times I think is missing. So I think that might be another thing that people resonate with, but it's ultimately hard for me to know. And what I've realized is like, I'll put out an episode that I think like that one was incredible, or I'll put out another one where I'm like, that one wasn't so good. And inevitably there's some people who think the one I put out that I thought was great. They don't think it wasn't so great. And other people who think the one I put out that wasn't so good, they love it. You know, you get a big enough audience and it's just like, well, some people are going to like this. Some people are going to like that. So, you know, it's hard for me to know, but those are some of the things I've heard from people. Well, as two listeners ourselves who, who are now actively subscribed and following your work, uh, we think it's, it's, you're right. I think you, you do give helpful suggestions of how to be the best of who we can be. And uh, I think we're trying to do the very same thing uh, in our work, you know, because we do find so many people, sadly, who are back to what we were talking about earlier to not live lives of, of meaning. So yeah. we, we want people to find meaning and joy and satisfaction and hope. So thanks. Thanks for what you, you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Since we are, we are a listening organization that that is a you know, primary focus for us. I'd like to ask you who have been some of the people in your life who've listened well to you, who you've felt they really are paying attention. They really are trying to know me. They um, they care about me. They're interested in me. Can, can you can you just name any people? Describe any of those situations. Well, the person who listens to me best and has listened to me best is my current partner. I would say. Um, she would probably be best. And then I've had, you know, I've had a couple of friends over the years in AA. I've got a good friend named John who I think really listens to me. It's interesting because if I look back, I saw that question from you guys and I, I thought a little bit about it. And I had a, I had a, I had some, I had some responses or, that came up that I thought, well, that's probably not what they're looking for, but it's what you're going to get. Um, <laughs> the first was that I thought about a lot of the people that I would consider to have been big mentors in my life. And I realized I don't think they listened to me very much. They did a lot of t- teaching and telling to me. Um, I'm not saying that's the right way to be a mentor. I'm just looking back at the people that I would name in that way. And I wouldn't say that they're listening to me what but what 
now that I say that out loud, they listened to me at least enough that I that they they got me somehow at a deeper level. And I felt that. So I don't recall them like being great listeners, but they must have been on some level because they were able to reflect back to me something that most people didn't. They were able to reflect back a belief in my deeper capacity and my deeper wisdom and my deeper capability. They were able to reflect that back to me. And so they must have listened on some level that I wasn't aware of. So while I wouldn't uh, have described them as people I thought of as great listeners, and if I think about a lot of my interactions with them, what I feel like a lot of was happening was them talking to me. It was their reflection of what they thought I was capable of, which they had to have got from listening to me. Um, you know, it was also interesting early in AA, you know, there were certainly a lot of people who were very influential for me in AA who did not do a lot of listening. You know, and in certain circles of AA, there's a phrase which is like, take the cotton out of your out of your ears and shove it in your mouth, which is basically like, you know, you're new. Stop talking so much. Just listen, you know. So um, so those people were somewhat influential on me. I don't think that's a very nice way to phrase it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it's not, you know, but but for some people, that's that's kind of what what was needed. So my initial reaction was, boy, I don't know that until the last, you know, till really recently that I was listened to incredibly well. Um, certainly, I don't think in my, you know, growing up, I was very much. Um, so that's kind of my response to that. I don't, I can't, I can't trot out a couple of easy answers of these people who listen to me very deeply. Um, I think that I guess the other thing I would say about that, though, is that one of the things about AA that was so transformative was hearing other people tell my story. And then I immediately knew I was understood. So listening to somebody is very important. I mean, I, I think it's one of the, I think it's a hugely important thing. And then also the ability when we hear other people reflecting back, whether they've heard it from us directly or they somehow just know us, they can tell our story back to us. That not feeling alone is so important. So there are, I think, I think there are other ways to that, to feeling understood beyond just being listened to. Well, one of the things you just mentioned, one of those things that, that it's, we, we believe is so important, it's to, to feel as if we're not alone, so alone, mm -hmm. to have somebody with us, yeah. even if they're not experiencing the same things, but they're still with us because they're listening to us, they've heard it, they acknowledge it, they, they, they value our feelings yeah. and experiences, and that is incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah, and I'm even thinking back to our earlier conversation about like, what would you say to your son who's 22? And and I think probably we don't as parents, and I'm learning this probably the hard way as well, uh, is is we probably don't have to say a whole lot. Uh, we we just need to show up and be present, be with them. Um, you know, they, they do, as you mentioned earlier, we all need to just kind of experience life as it comes. But uh, at, to Michael's point, to just know that we're, we're not facing anything by ourselves is, is probably the most important lesson of all. Yes, yes, I agree. I think it's, I think that's hugely important. 
Well, we're probably nearing the end of our time here. And one of the things that we've been doing recently um, in a few, few of our podcast episodes is we love to do, we're calling it rapid fire questions. And we love to just ask you a couple and just the first thing that comes to your mind, uh, put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to ask him and you're going to get like three minute silences. I'm a ponderer. I'll do my <laughs> good too. <laughs> So we, we love to go deep on our, on our show, as I'm sure you do too. Um, you know, one of our favorite things in life, which we mentioned in the last episode that went live is just as two semi introverts, we love to just, we get to literally talk to people all day long. You know, it's uh, people that we connect with and we've already felt like we connect with you. Um, so what's something that has moved you to tears? Most recent thing I can think of is uh, the TV show Downton Abbey over and over and over again. Wow. There's so many beautiful moments in that show of just really human connection and interaction and heartbreak. And I just think it's, it's an amazing show and, and it, it, you know, it, it moves me, you know, pretty regularly to, to tears. Hmm. What? are you most afraid of? <laughs> That's a great question. What am I most afraid of? See, I told you I'm a ponderer. Um, Cause nothing immediately come, the things that come to mind, um, The fear that I most regularly grapple with anymore anyway is the the fear of actually I know the fear that's foremost in my life right now is of, is of disappointing a couple of people who are very close to me with a decision I might need to make that I'm afraid of and I've always been afraid of that I've always been afraid of disappointing the people close to me um or causing uh pain to people that are close to me by making a decision that may not be what they want yeah, thank you. Where have you found hope recently? Where have I found hope recently? Um, I find it in the um, in the Zen reading that I do each morning. Um, most recently, I've been reading a book called "The Light That Shines Through Infinity" by Katajiri Roshi. And um, I find a lot of hope in it because it Zen points me back over and over and over again to that everything I need is right here. Hmm. And I find that a very, very hopeful thing because there's nothing to, there's nothing needs to happen. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing that needs to happen. If I can be more fully with the life that is here, everything I need for my awakening and my happiness is here. Hmm. Hmm. I've also found a lot of what I'm seeing happen in the world right now, a lot of the protests that we're seeing and a lot of what appears to me to be some, um, some, some forward momentum on, um, you know, I think we've got a long, long way to go with racism in this country, but I have seen some, I, I, I found it some things to be hopeful that I've seen over the last few weeks. Obviously there's heartbreak in there, but I don't think the problems are new. It's not like the world is suddenly worse <laughs> for, for, for people of color than it was two weeks ago, right? The world's always been that bad for them. So what I find hopeful is that more people seem to care. Hmm. 
So I have a question about exactly that um, during this segment. So in your interview, which we, we've listened to now with Austin Channing Brown, mm-hmm. which you just re-released on your podcast, and we encourage everybody to go check it out in light of the racial tension in our country, she said at the end of the interview about you, uh, it makes all the difference when, number one, someone is willing to listen. And number two, someone who is willing to recognize themselves and who is willing to grow and change by doing the hard work. And so I, I think just um, maybe to, to finish this episode off, um, you know, what are you learning about yourself um, during this time? And the second thing is, what would you say to our listeners makes you a good listener? Because you obviously are one, according to uh, Austin Channing Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it uh, that interview with Austin Channing Brown we did almost two years ago. Yeah, and when I when it comes back, I did not re-listen to it before we put it out because I was like, if I re-listen to it, what's going to happen is I'm going to realize all the ways I seemed ignorant. And I'm not going to want to put that into the world today. And I thought, that's not the point. The point is what she has to say, not what I am saying. So I just re-released it without listening to it. But that came out two years ago. And in some ways, I feel like, okay, I've learned a fair amount about racial things in this country in two years. And at the same time, I'm disappointed in myself at how little I've done in two years. That the commitments that I've made that I didn't follow through on the 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 goals that I might have had. So so I think what I'm learning about myself is a I have I have more I, I have I need to remain committed to that. That's not something that I can just phone in once in a while. I, I, I want to remain more committed to to doing that, um, to being more focused on being anti-racist. Um, I think the other thing I've learned about myself is, again, the, the, the number of different ways that my um, white privilege caused me to see the world in a different way. And that, um, that that this really is a time for me to continue to do more listening and learning. Um, what do I think makes me a good listener? Um, boy, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, 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 I tend to think I actually kind of am in a lot of situations, but my girlfriend would tell you maybe not always. About ourselves sometimes too. <laughs> I always try and say, but I've been on like seven coaching calls today. Like I'm tired. I mean, I've been listening all day. I'm, my listening muscle is worn out. Um, I think interest in other people, but I think that there's a, um, I can't remember whether this woman said this or not, but I think I'll, I'll say that she said it, um, uh, which is that listening is really listening is willing to be changed. And I think that's, I think the one, one thing that defines my nature very, at a very fundamental level is this real belief, like I don't have it right. You know, that I could be wrong. Um, 
I think maybe that I just screwed things. I often joke, you know, you screw things up as, as bad as I did that early in your life. And you sort of go, well, maybe, you know, <laughs> like I may not have all this figured out. So I think that, uh, 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 you know, listening on, on one level is willing to be changed, right? It's one thing to be like, well, I'm willing to hear what they have to say, but actually being willing to allow what somebody else is going to say to change us going in with that, that attitude is a is a powerful way it's it's even a step beyond willing to hear right it's a it's a it's another level of openness and so i think i have that and i don't i couldn't quite say why and i don't always have it um but i i hopefully i have it often enough and it's something i try to have more i was going to ask you a question but i think you just answered it um you know what what is name something that that you that that is a, that you are really good at that you and maybe admire about yourself and, and are, are grateful for. And I think the willingness to change yeah. is, is, is a, would be a great answer right there because so many of us aren't. And we find it very difficult to change our attitudes, to change our, our way of thinking yeah. and our, our way of acting and believing. And to be, to be so open and, and realize that we we are always in we always can grow we always can see things in a different way a different perspective that um that's a that's a gift and significant yeah i i think and i do think it is a a a gift in the sense of like i don't know how and with me i think the thing that i if i if you ask me like what's the thing you're best at i would say naturally seeing multiple sides to any perspective. Like I, I can just, I can watch two people fighting and, and, and I immediately see both, I, I get both their perspective. I don't know how I do it. I just do it. And, and, and that's by gift. I mean, I don't think I earned it. It just seems to be part of something that's fairly fundamental to me. I don't, I don't know where it comes from. But I think that's, for whatever reason, that's always been sort of my superpower. You know, when I was in the software development world, it was, it was what part of what made me good because I could walk into a room and immediately hear two people talking and be like, they're not aligned. They think they're communicating, but they're not. They're both saying something slightly different and that's going to be a problem. This team isn't aligned. I just, I have that. I just, it's like a sixth sense for me. Um, so yeah, I think that's that those, those two things are, are go hand in hand. Thank you for your openness and, and honesty. Um, you know, in the spirit of vulnerability here, particularly around this issue of race, I even learned this about myself. We've had a couple um, African-American women on our program, and we interviewed one um, maybe earlier this year, I believe. And she's doing incredible things in working with teenagers in particular around mental health issues. And I was re-listening to your interview with Austin Channing, and I remember reading this in her book about white people in particular coming up and touching her hair for whatever reason. I don't know if you remember this in the episode, but it was really I, I humorous. Do. I do. Yeah. And, and uh, she was so gracious, you know, and, and how she handled it. But yeah, there's just like, like a lot of oddities like that. And, and she, she did it with such grace, yeah. but I was remembering back to this episode that we had done with uh, her name's Amber Sesums. It was a great interview, but I remember um, in that episode I had made it and I, I, I did it in all sincerity. I was commenting of, of, uh, how much I appreciated her hair. She does, she does like these incredible things with her hair and I follow her on Instagram and, you know, just in light of the interview with Austin Channing, I, I was like, Oh, 
I wonder how she actually received that. Maybe she didn't receive it as positive, as positively as I thought she did. So, you know, I'm actually going to reach out to her. She's so gracious too. And I'm sure she'll. I'd be curious to hear anything. what she thinks. I think there's a big difference between being like, your hair looks nice. And can I touch your hair? Yeah, like, I hope so. I hope that's how she sees I, it. I remember well. that in that Austin. Yeah. I was like, I don't think that's, I, I think white, black, like you just don't walk up to people you don't know and ask to touch their hair. Like, yeah. It's just I remember a, reading that a good in, policy. In book and just laughing out, <laughs> literally laughing out loud. Like, yeah. yeah, it was what an oddity. Yeah, it's the same with uh, with so many people. Uh, we'll do that to a woman who's pregnant. Feel like yeah. they have the right to touch her stomach, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and comment on it. And well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of education going on around a lot of these things. You know, around, um, you know, particularly for. You know, Michael, I would guess you and I are in a similar age range. You know, I, I think, um, you know, we, the world's a little different than it was. And, and there's, there's decency, which is obvious. And, and, but then there's also, like I, like I said, this is where I really realized, like, I am, I am learning. I've got a 22-year-old who, as I've, I've mentioned him a couple of times, and he's very, very social justice oriented very he's been out at the protests like nearly every day and so thankfully i've got somebody to sort of educate me in private um a little bit on on some of these things you know that i i, I find helpful because i just you know i just love to go to him and be like i heard this i don't understand or here's my reaction to that and why is that wrong and i just it's it's a it's a really satisfying part of his and i's relationship at least for me is these these deep conversations we could get into about this stuff I think that's why we, you know, for lack of a better word, that's why we are attracted to you and your work because you, like us, we're, we're trying to be the best of who we, yeah. we even say God's created us to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, that that's what this is all about for us. If we want to be the, you know, the most loving and kind and gracious people, but that, that means that we sometimes have to do the, the hard work of looking in the mirror yeah. and, and seeing things that, you know, I have a lot of educating that needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, you guys are certainly doing uh, doing great work conversation-wise. This has been really, really nice. Yeah, well, we've loved Thank it. you. So, Eric, really nice to meet you. Eric Zimmer, this, has been, this really has been a joy for us and a privilege, a sacred pr privilege. And uh, we are so grateful, so thankful. And um, we, uh, we hope and we know that everyone listening will, will truly enjoy this conversation. So thanks for being with us today. Yeah, I hope it was worth getting childcare for. <laughs> it, it was. Um, I owe my wife big, and uh, you know, <laughs> but it, it was definitely worth it. So All thank right. you. Good. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. We consider it such a sacred privilege to have conversations with people such as these, like Eric Zimmer, people who have rich stories to tell, who have had incredible life experiences, both struggles and redemption. People who have learned from past difficulties and challenges. People who have had the ability to find new life and new meaning in their lives. We um, are just so grateful for this opportunity. So we, are, we thank Eric and we thank you for joining us today for this conversation. We hope for you it provided some inspiration, some some real meaning, and something that you can take with you uh, that will help you to lead a, a better life, help you to feed <laughs> feed the, the most important things, the things that bring you joy, 
and peace, laughter, and love in your lives. So if you enjoy these interviews, we hope that you will subscribe to them through Patreon and be able to support them financially. We appreciate that a lot. It, it, it takes some money to be able to, to do these several times a month. And uh, we hope that uh, you can help. We also hope that you will go on our website and, and to do that, but you also follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter. Like us and um, share with your friends, with your family members, with people who you think would also like these podcasts. So until we listen again. <laughs>